Live from the Battleborn Broadcast Center, it's Cofield and Company. Three o'clock hour is here. Adam Candy, Cofield, back in our Finley Toyota studios. It's Ari. It's time for The Three, presented by Nova Home Loans. Call now at 877-700-NOVA. Uh, Candy, last week, I, I don't know who was on the show and who's not, but uh, we got the company, so we rotated. Last week, we, uh, we played some audio from Stephen A. Smith, who was crowing about the fact that the goal for the Knicks is to make the playoffs. The goal for the Nets is to make the final. If the Nets don't make the final and the Knicks make the playoffs, the bigger story is the Knicks. Do you get what he's saying? Of course I get what he's saying. I mean, I'm a Knicks fan like Stephen A is. Like <laughs> I'd be I'd be looking for an angle like that too, right? I, I'd be yeah. desperate to find some way to spin this that looked good for the Knicks. Right. To a national audience. So that I I think that's the the New York take and Stephen A is a Knicks fan uh and he's an area guy. Yeah, it's the bigger narrative in New York. Nationally, that's kind of laughable. But it also shows where the Knicks have been. I mean, they just clinched their first winning season in eight years. Um, I think we're getting a little bit of a rivalry developing here because, frankly, the last couple of years, even without all these stars on the Nets, um, the Nets were the better team. Um, but they're still an afterthought because they just came to Brooklyn. But I think we're starting to get a little heat with the fact that the Knicks can't get any of these free agents and the Nets got them, so... I see it developing here, and we saw it actually in a graphic that was sent out by James Harden. Did you see this? The New Yorker had basically a New York basketball theme on their front. Three Nets, two Knicks. Harden sends out the picture, the photo of the cover of the New Yorker, only three Nets. Where did the Knicks go? I mean, I don't think they went with James to visit all the strip clubs like the, he did earlier this year. Like uh, James wasn't so worried about what was going on with the New York Knicks before he got himself to Brooklyn. So, uh, you know what? James Harden's not the guy I want to hear from here. You're the new guy. You just got here. You you forced your way out, and there were only so many places you could go. So you could leave that alone. But when it comes to this thing being a rivalry, let me just say this really clearly as a Knicks fan. If the Knicks and Nets play in the playoffs and the Knicks win a single game, I will be running through the streets celebrating because the Nets are a far better team than the Knicks. It's not even close. They're way better. There's no rivalry here. And you know why? First of all, the Nets are better. Second of all, Brooklyn didn't get Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, and James Harden. New York got them. They just decided to go where James Dolan, the owner of the Knicks, isn't. They went to the franchise that had some sort of stability that still let them be in the same city that they want to be in. So it's proof the Mecca, air quotes, still has some sort of draw for people. It's just that nobody wants to be anywhere around James Dolan. How similar is the Nets-Knicks deal to Lakers and Clippers? I don't even know if it's that big because this is the first time the Knicks have been relevant and God only knows how long. At least the Clippers have been out there giving it a shot for a while. At least Steve Ballmer has been giving them a personality and at least Lob City looked like it was going to do something for a bit. I mean, geez, take it back a few years when we really thought the Clippers might make a run 
at the Lakers. But in the end, the difference is L.A. is a Lakers town and the Lakers are good. New York is a Knicks town and the Knicks haven't been good. (laughs) The Knicks haven't been good. All right, well, Lakers have to take on the Clippers here coming up. Uh, They're back tomorrow. How bad does this look for LeBron in the short term? couple games out for LeBron, uh, resting that ankle. And look, we talked about it last week on this show. LeBron shouldn't play any more than he has to before the playoffs because that's all that ultimately matters. And if he wants to whine and moan about the play-in tournament, oh, well, who cares? Like, go win it, right? No, Nobody looked at the bubble last year and said, well, it's fake. Your championship doesn't count. So nobody should be looking at the play-in tournament like, well, it's fake. I shouldn't have to do it. Go win it. It's all that really matters. Um, when it comes to the Clippers, this L.A. Clippers team is going to be good in in the playoffs. They have not played as the best team in basketball all year long. They haven't played as the best team in the Western Conference. But come down to it, they've had pretty good health all year long, and they're a team that I don't think anybody's going to want to see in the playoffs because of the way they play defense. Consistency, though, on offense. They got to get it together that way. Did you see uh, AD's reaction the other day after the Nuggets game? And he, he did a great job. And he, not that he was a one man gang, but without LeBron to beat a team catching five points, it was a big victory for him. It was. And think about what Anthony Davis has gone through just this season, right? Like, it's been a rough go for him. And I'm not here to heap praise onto a guy who forced his way out of New Orleans in kind of an ugly way. But at the same time, the challenge of coming back from the injury that he's had and a win like that for a team that's been struggling has got to mean something. And the other reason I have respect for Anthony Davis, Steve, is you mentioned Isaiah Johnson from the Raiders earlier saying that he was pushing getting the vaccine so 65,000 people could be at Allegiant Stadium. Well, Anthony Davis was out there saying, you know why I went and got the vaccine? Because I want Staples Center to be full and rocking for the playoffs. And anyone who's willing to step forward and make the argument that we're going to be a better sports fan people once we get the vaccine and once things open up and once we can rock stadiums again, I'm for it. So then what do you say to Dennis Schroeder? Dennis Schroeder's situation is uh, is tough, man. Like D- Dennis Schroeder has had ha- has had the opportunity to really step forward in any number of ways for this Lakers team this year. And he hasn't like this basically was Dennis Schroeder's team for the better part of a month. And the Lakers sucked. And now here we are with Dennis Schroeder uh, stuck in the COVID protocol for the second time this year. It's ugly, man. It's just ugly all around. All right. Well, let, let's hit the topic, though. What do you say to and about Derek or Derek Dennis Schroeder when it comes to the vaccines? And what do you say to people across sports athletes who are on championship contenders? Listen, I know. You know, most of us are not comfortable here wagging our finger at people who don't want to get the vaccine, but in certain positions, don't you have to? You've been brought to a team of LeBron James in his waning years. They've put together a championship team. You're not available? Come on! Dude, this is why I was hedging it, though. This is why I wasn't going in hard, because I'm still not comfortable saying to people who don't want to do it that they should, because as personal as the decision was for me, to get vaccinated i understand it's personal and i understand that there are some people out there who don't want to look at it as for the greater good because it is about the greater good in the end it's not about you it's not about me it's about everybody it's about all of us being in this together and i have a hard time looking at a professional athlete and telling them 
that they need to do this for us when we were forcing them to go out there and play when there was no vaccine, when there was a huge amount of risk, and when, frankly, we don't even require our military to go get the vaccine. Nova Home Loans brings you the three. It's a refi raid at Nova Home Loans. With interest rates at all-time lows, now's the time to talk to your local Nova loan officer. 877-700-NOVA. Now, back to Cofield and Company on ESPN Las Vegas. 70 minutes into the program, Candy. We haven't mentioned the NFL draft. We've been hitting the draft heavy the last week or so. So we bring in a guy who knows the draft. He's uh, tight and around all the, you know, many of the players who were just drafted. Was a scout in the NFL for 18 years. Is the guy who runs the Senior Bowl, Jim Nagy. You heard him over the weekend on ESPN Radio National. Jim, how you doing? How's it going, guys? I'm doing good. We're good. First of all, I got to say, not to butter you up, but uh, I actually, I did text uh, Jason Fitz, who's a regular on all of our stations, and had to compliment him and compliment you. I thought your Saturday coverage on radio was freaking awesome. It was basically like a, an open talk football show with the draft going on in the background. Really good stuff. Oh, I appreciate it. And it was it, Fitz made my job easy. I mean, it's easy for me to talk about about sixth and seventh rounders. Um, that's the easy part. Fitz brought the energy, and he was he was great. I give him all the credit. All right, so let's talk about, first of all, the hometown Raiders. Uh, for the most part, they're getting smashed in terms of an overall grade. A lot of Bs, some Cs. They got uh, a D or two as well. And I know you you, know, you certainly have some things to say about the choice of, well, we'll start with Alex Leatherwood. What do you think of Leatherwood at 17? And then a, a bunch of people saying, hey, that was way too high. Yeah, I'll start by saying there's nothing more meaningless than draft grades. I know that they get clicks and, you know, they, they, uh, they stir up conversation. But um, after working in the NFL as long as I did, like, that stuff's crazy to me that people cast judgment so quick and not let these players kind of prove themselves. But uh, that being said, no, the, the Leatherwood pick, my only point there is that people thought it was a reach and it wasn't a reach uh, because I, I talked to three teams in the league that were picking after the Raiders between – 20 and 32 that had Alex in the first round. A lot of teams had him in the first round, and he and he would have gone in the first round had the, had the Raiders not taken him. So, like, a reach is when you go up over a round. Like, when you're talking in the NFL, if it's like an upset if someone takes the guy two rounds higher than you had him on your board or two rounds lower, um, that's a reach. So, I mean, to be within, like, a couple picks, that's certainly not a reach. People can disagree with the pick all they want, but to call it a reach, uh, that's not fair. I feel like the Ravens were one of the three teams that may have taken Leatherwood, uh, and you don't have to confirm or whatever you want to do. But uh, <laughs> but I, I feel like the Ravens were one of those teams, Jim. But then they wound up having two picks in the first round. They didn't take an offensive lineman. Uh, I mean, could Leatherwood? I guess on some boards, could Leatherwood be that far ahead of a guy like Darisaw? Um, um, almost got in a car accident there, guys. Oh, um, oh. He, he was. Uh, no, I would say he and Darisaw were pretty close on most teams' board, but there was a shelf um, for many teams after Alex in terms of left tackles. Um, there was a lot of discussion pre-draft about uh, Tevin Jenkins from Oklahoma State getting up in that range. But, you know, he was he's more of a right tackler regard to me. I don't know what Chicago's planning on doing with him, but I didn't see a left tackle when I watched Tevin Jenkins. And I like Tevin Jenkins. We invited him in the Senior Bowl, so he's a good player. But... Uh, Really, after Alex and Darisaw, there were there was a lot of guys where 
because of arm length or feet or overall athleticism, um, they just didn't look like left side players. So if you were going to get a guy that, that wanted to play on the left or potentially down the road play left um, and not just plug in a career right tackle, it really ended with those two guys. You know Mike Mayock. I know you talk to him often. Why do you think he and the rest of Raiders brass uh, liked Leatherwood so much in terms of his qualities? And also, why do they believe he's an outside guy instead of a guard? Um, okay, a couple things. One, wait till he shows up in Oakland, or in, I'm sorry, in Las Vegas, <laughs> and you see this guy physically. Um, he's, yeah. he's the most physically imposing tackle in the draft. Um, not even close compared to compared to guys like Slater and Really? And Sewell, I mean, just just the physical man and the length, and <laughs> I mean, he is he is prototype. He started 41 games in the SEC. He's a really good athlete. Um, I actually saw him more as a guard myself. Um, I think he can play tackle. I think he'd be a good tackle. I thought he had a chance to be in a Pro Bowl level guard. So to me, I always like to put a guy where I think he's got the highest ceiling. So if I would disagree with the the Raiders uh, staff there, I, I thought Alex would be a better guard. So. Um, but really talented guy, and uh, I know they're planning on playing there at right tackle. So that's uh, that's where Tom Cable's got to got to make it work. When we hear the comments from Mike Mayock, where he says that he knew the pick would be somewhat controversial, that he knew that maybe their board didn't line up with everyone else's. I'm curious, from your perspective, having been inside the process of this from the NFL side, uh, do you think there's a lot of groupthink when it comes to? how players are rated or do teams really have boards that look that different from one another? Um, you know, I, I think there's some difference. I think there, I think group group think is very dangerous when it happens on your own staff. Um, I've been a part of the staff where I kind of felt like that was happening at times. Um, so that's a really dangerous thing. I think the reason I get, I'm putting words in Mike's mouth and I don't mean to do that, but he and I didn't have this conversation but they do, teams look at those mock drafts and they kind of, you know, their analytics people digest those mock drafts and try to figure out, um, you know, where guys might get picked and those sorts of things. So I'm sure, I'm sure the Raiders analytics people saw that Alex Leatherwood in the media's mind wasn't being mocked as a first round pick. So when you walk into a press conference and you take a guy in the first round that most people on the outside didn't see as a first rounder, I mean, the media and the draft analysts and everyone, they kind of stir, they, they, they drive the public perception on what these players are. Um, you know, even some of them don't have tape of college players. You know, they're, they're watching, like, tape Saturday games off television. So, um, and most fans, I, I wish the NFL would open up the college tape to, to, to fans so they could really watch the real, the real goods on these guys. Um, so, anyway, they, they listen to what the media has to say. So, I'm sure Mike walked in that press conference feeling like he had to justify the pick a little bit. So Jim Nagy joins us here on Cofield and Company, runs a senior bowl, former NFL scout, uh, going down the board a little bit to the second round. You know, Trayvon Merrick is a guy who we saw lots of speculation could be a potential pick for the Raiders in the first round. They end up moving up a couple spots in the second to get him. Uh, who is this player? Why is he so highly regarded and, uh, you know, maybe feeling for folks why he did slip a little bit. We did read a little bit about a, a injury in the pre-draft workouts. Yeah, he's you know he's a he's a guy that can play in the deep middle of the field. He's got instincts um, and he has production on the ball. Um, you know, this is a guy I wasn't quite as high on myself. He was being mocked in a lot of first rounds. I did I did not see him as a first round player. Um, I actually think Tyree Gillespie will end up being a better pro for the Raiders um, than Merrick. 
Well, so take that for what it's worth. I thought that was that was the better pick. I really was hoping uh, for Mike Sick. I was hoping Richie Grant was there for him because I thought he was hands down the best safety in the draft. But Merrick has that center field skill set. He can play back there. They need a guy that that can. You know, they have Jonathan Abrams, who's just you know a, a heat-seeking missile, and he's running around and just you know running and hitting. So they need a guy back there that can clean things up on the back end and, and make plays on the ball, and that's his skill set. So I'm not saying uh, it's going to be a bad pick. I just when Merrick was being mocked in the middle of the first round, I just I just didn't see that level of a player. So as we get deeper into not just the Raiders draft, but everybody's draft, and we start talking about third, fourth, fifth round picks and beyond. Help us set some realistic expectations for the development of some of these players who go a little bit later in the draft, because I think there are times that we all look at a roster. We say, well, they have a hole at safety. They have a hole at guard, whatever the case might be. And we say, well, they drafted someone there. He should be ready to go. And we know it's not always like that. It takes time to develop players. But for these players who are drafted a little bit later, what is the usual development curve that you as a scout are looking at for that guy when you're suggesting him in the room? Well, that's really hard to answer. It's truly a case-by-case basis with each player. Now, as a scout, it's your job to have that projection for that player. I mean, you're really dealing from an NFL team's perspective what that player will be in his three-year window. You should know about year three. Um, this year's class, there should be a little more of an expectation level to come in and play right away just because we look like we're going to have an offseason and a full preseason, so it should, it should be a little bit back to normal. But there's a lot of factors at play. Um, you hope that the coaching staff and the scouting staff were in alignment on the player. I've seen that derail some picks in the past. I mean, I've been a part of uh, decisions like that where we've taken a player that the coaching staff didn't quite see the same and they just don't get developed well. Um, so I hope you know those, uh, those two sides need to be on the same page with the vision for the player. And I think giving a player the opportunity to uh, – you know, to play through some of the some of the bumps in the road as a rookie. I mean, I I just go back to my experience in Seattle. A little before I got there was, you know, the 11 and 12 drafts. I was in Kansas City, but that's when they were drafting the Richard Shermans in the fifth and Cam Chancellor and, and uh, Doug Baldwin and all those guys late. Well, they were a building football team, so they were playing a lot of young guys. Um, and they were letting those guys work through it, and we see how a lot of those guys turned out. Um there was a willingness to play young players. I think if you if you want to guys get it, want to get guys on the field, you got to play them right away and let them let them work through it. So that's a tough thing to answer specifically, but it's it's totally a case by case basis. But um, I'm you know you draft a player in the first three rounds, you expect him to get on the field at minimum in sub packages um, as a rookie, and then you know special teams for fourth rounders on, and then and then in year two, you're hoping your fourth and fifth rounders might be competing for real playing time. Yeah, I think that gives everybody a much uh, a clearer picture from, you know, from the inside perspective. Um, when we try to set this up for not only the Raiders, but, you know, for anyone else and give them some expectations of, of what's to come. You mentioned this particular year where we're going to have a full offseason. We're going to have more development. Uh, you know, Mike Mayock talked in his post first round press conference about the difficulty getting medicals and the different difficulty being able to fully evaluate players. What was it like for you guys putting together the senior bowl? What was it like having this different environment to operate in? Uh, yeah, well, we never get medicals. We never get test information. <laughs> That's yeah, the, uh, of course. that was the one, that was the one piece of advice that my predecessor, Phil Savage, the uh, former GM of the Cleveland Browns gave me. He said, Jim, your drafts in November, man. Like you don't, you don't get to see what the 40-yard dash time is. You don't get to see who had two blown ACLs, you know. Um, 
So, but no, for the from the team's perspective, it was a, it was a very different year, and it was a little bit different for us because we weren't out at games on the weekend seeing these players live, um, and not down on the field. We were going to some games, but not nearly as many, um, and we weren't allowed on the field. The NFL guys, our staff, wasn't allowed on the field, and we do a lot of our work during pregame talking to coaches um, and getting some real information on on the character stuff. And the schools were really good about setting up Zoom calls this year for the NFL teams. And, you know, they, they got all the appropriate people on those calls to talk about the players. But, again, it's human nature. Um, if you're on a Zoom with 80 other, with 80 other people, um, rather than like a scout walking into your office and shutting the door behind him and being one-on-one with a guy you've trusted for 20 years because you've known for 20 years, you're just going to get different information. So the league felt like they had a lot of vanilla stuff on a lot of these players, and it just it, it made, the, it made the, getting, the gaining conviction part on a lot of these guys difficult because they just didn't, they just didn't have um, all the boxes checked this year. Jim Nagy's with us here on Cofield and Company, ESPN, Las Vegas. I got a couple more Raiders points to get to, but very important. I want you to mention this. You have a charity golf tournament coming up, right, in June? Sure do. Yeah, it's our, our, it's our first one. It's in conjunction with our Hall of Fame event. We've never had the golf before. I'm doing it for Big Brothers, Big Sisters, and, yeah, we've got a great lineup of celebs. Yeah, so you have, uh, what, Cam Jordan, Reggie Wayne, Fred uh, Fred Taylor, Staley's there, uh, and then some of the guys who just got drafted as well, so very cool. Yeah, it's, it's going to be great, guys. Like a foursome, it's not a normal golf foursome where you come in and just play golf for a few hours. Um, if you buy into a foursome, you can do that at SeniorBowl.com, but you'll come hang out at the at the Hall of Fame event the day before, stay up all night, hanging out with these guys, and then, and then golf the next day. So it's really like 36 hours. So, like, yeah, the, the, nice. the recent guys, you've got uh, Mac Jones, Landon Dickerson, Sam Ellinger, um, Kadarius Toney, Daniel Jones from the New York Giants. So, really good group of guys. And then, and then legends of the game, Ozzie Newsome and, and Archie Manning. Um, so, if any, if any football fans are out there and they want to just take in, like, 48 hours of, of really cool access to uh, NFL guys and just having a great time, uh, yeah, check it out. I appreciate you bringing that up. Yeah, and if you can't play golf, you can always go to uh... – Big Brothers, Big Sisters on Twitter at BBBSLA to contribute. Last one on the Raiders. You uh, you actually spoke pretty well of some of the picks later in the draft, those Saturday picks that the Raiders hauled in, um, including including Friday and Saturday. Like Who's who's the guy you're most intrigued by? Do, you know, Maybe they get a starter out of the person. They get some real competition in that defensive backfield. We're talking about Gillespie and Hobbs and Diablo. Yeah, I, I really like Gillespie, guys. I mean, I think he's, I think he was a steal. I think he's going to end up being a really good Raider. Um, Diablo is a little bit of a hybrid guy, but I think they're going to play him at linebacker, which I think is the right thing to do. Um, he's just learning the position still. The guy was a wide receiver a couple of years ago, so you're talking about a 6'3 227-pound guy that ran in the low 4'4s, four um, and he's just kind of scratching the surface on the defensive side of the ball. He did an awesome job during Senior Bowl week covering tight ends. That's a, we all talked about Kyle Pitts through the draft process, right? So everyone's looking for a mismatch guy, but in return you have to have a guy to defend him. So um, I think that Diablo gives them a guy moving forward to cover tight ends, which is, which is key. Um, and then Nate Hobbs is a guy we didn't end up inviting to the Senior Bowl, and I, I'm kicking myself for not doing it because he was one of our highest-graded corners coming out of the summer process and then he was one of those guys and we we put him to the nfl guys and they just didn't have as much love for him um and i i couldn't figure that out because we really liked his tape especially over the summer and then COVID really impacted the big 10 conference this year 
And then I think what got Nate drafted the way it was was his junior tape and then that pro day. He blew out his pro day. So, again, I think that could be a really sneaky good pick wherever they took Nate, I think, in the fifth round. I mean, that, that could end up being a nice pick as well. Jim, awesome stuff. We know you're a busy guy, so we appreciate your time. Thank you. Yeah, appreciate it, guys. There he is. Jim Nagy, head of the Senior Bowl, was a scout in the NFL for 18 years, and he was a little higher on the Raiders draft, explaining that uh, he believes that three teams behind the Raiders uh, could have taken Alex Leatherwood in the first round, and he just told you the guys he liked on uh, Saturday and you know a late Friday pick. So uh, maybe the Raiders got some steals a little bit later in this draft. All right, ESPN Las Vegas legal insider Justin Watkins is up in just a few, and we're going to get his take on the uh, latest with Tom Wilson. We, we've talked about the authorities coming in and taking care of sports. If the commissioners don't, maybe that's where we're at now with Tom Wilson. Coming up next, ESPN Las Vegas legal analyst Justin Watkins joins Cofield and Company in studio to break down the biggest legal stories in the world of sports. It's time for ESPN Las Vegas legal insider Justin Watkins to lay down the law. Only on Cofield and Company. Here we go. We're back here. BBB Studio is, uh, check that, BBBBC. Too many Bs, too many Cs, too little Cs. Justin Watkins is with us. Adam Candy is here as well. All right, let's get into it. I'm going to kind of flip the script here and start off a little hockey. Uh, I saw Keith Olbermann expressing frustration the other day with Tom Wilson and another freaking goon incident was like, all right, that's enough. Bring in law enforcement. Bring in the authorities. We've talked about this many times. Very dangerous path to go down in sports. Yeah, for sure. I mean, sports is a situation in which you guys are agreeing to engage in activities that in some instances would be illegal to do. Hitting in football, punching in boxing, you know, any of the moves really in MMA. And as part of scrums in hockey, if you just went outside and started scrumming in front of a police officer, you'd be arrested. So that's not something that... um, is normal but there it is consented as part of the game and acknowledged to be a sport that law enforcement is not going to engage in you know uh so under only the most extreme conditions when it's completely outside of the norm as to something that can be expected reasonably within the confines of the game would you ever want to get law enforcement involved and i'll just say this I'm no Tom Wilson fan, but I don't, I don't see what I don't see the uproar. Candy, same with you. What do you think? Is this much ado about nothing? We can't set the precedent of people coming in from the outside and regulating what goes on inside sports, unless this is going to become last Boy Scout and someone pulls a gun out on the field and starts shooting his way to the end zone. Like that's the only time that I think we would have any reason for the authorities to get involved here. I think if the NHL player safety department had done its job and maybe gone beyond a $5,000 fine, then we wouldn't be having this discussion because they tend to take repeat offender history into account. And if you do take that into account, it is hard to justify that being the discipline for that act. I I don't know, man. I, I know Tom Wilson's got a bad rap sheet and I have been on the side of punishing Tom Wilson at all the different junctures. I just don't know if this is a repeat offense. I mean, I get Panarin got drug around by a rag, like a rag doll, but I also watched the video 
and Panarin jumps on his back. So <laughs> Panarin engages the contact, and what what would have happened to Tom Wilson if he didn't defend himself? Um, and would that have been okay? So, um, you know, I think it was within the confines of what you see happen all the time in a hockey game, which is guy gives an extra little stab at the goalie. The other team defends their goalie by rushing in and tackling and face washing and, and trying to rough up the guy. And then, you know, all hell ensues and people are going tit for tat. Panarin got himself involved with, you know, like Reese likes to say, found the line in the jungle. Yeah, I mean, my view of what I saw was that, you know, Tom Wilson pulling the Triple H powerbomb move on on the guy was maybe not um, maybe not as innocent. And the punch that he threw, I think, was probably a little more toward the norm of, yeah, we see that all the time. You know, hey, someone missed a punch. That's the thing. It it just after a while with everything we've seen from from Tom Wilson, I think when we talk about repeat offender, do we say, is it a repeat of something he's done before in terms of delivering a dirty check or going after someone's head? Or do we say it's a repeat offense because do we just lump everything together, whether it's an assault or a petty crime or a murder and say, yeah, you know what? Uh, This dude's got issues. So uh, yeah, it's just kind of how you look at it, I think. Yeah, as long as it's not Happy Gilmore taking a skate off and trying to cut somebody with a skate, you know, got a world record for, <laughs> the yes. record for that, then I, I agree that. with you. I agree with you. No no law enforcement involved in a hockey game or, or any other sport for that matter, so long as it's reasonably foreseeable within the confines of the game. I'll ask both of you guys first. Uh, Justin, for reaction on this one, I think I know what the reaction is going to be, but I want to ask anyway. Uh, headline, New York Rangers extremely disappointed by league's discipline of Tom Wilson. Call for the removal of the head of the NHL Department of Player Safety. Should someone be fired over this? I'm guessing no, since you don't think it was that severe. I, I, I didn't see it that way, and I, and I don't care about the Rangers, and I kind of, you know, I dislike Tom Wilson, you know, so I think I'm seeing it pretty unbiasedly if I'm being a Tom Wilson defender son, suddenly on this case. But I will say this. I like the statement. If they feel that way, at least they at least they said it. Now, apparently, the statement has gotten their GM and their president fired. That happened a couple hours ago, uh, but not because they made the statement, but because they weren't backing up the statement. They weren't backing up Dolan in making the statement. They were going around in their little hockey circle saying, yeah, we didn't really agree with the statement. We didn't know it was coming out. That's the word on Twitter. So... Um, through Elliot Friedman, oh, through no. Elliot Friedman. So, so Candy, this is your guy again. The, well, again, James Dolan. I know you're shocked to see. Oh my god, that James Dolan would have thin skin and irrationally fire someone who dared to cross his words. I know it's absolutely stunning to see that happen. But you want to know why little Jimmy doesn't have any real power around either of the leagues that he is an owner in. Just take this situation and insert Jerry Jones' name in here. If Jerry Jones wanted something done in the NFL, Jerry doesn't need to go on his radio show. Jerry doesn't need to put out a statement that goes against what someone else in the organization does. Jerry gets Raj on speed dial and says, do something about this. And Raj does something about this. So you don't have to go out there and put a statement out and then piss and moan at your GM and your president over it. But that's little Jimmy for you. Yeah, and I think, uh, you know, being a hockey fan converted of over four years, I guess, you know, 
I'll, this is a late opinion, but I'm going to say Gary Bettman seems to be the most powerful commissioner as far as getting all of the t- different team owners to bend to his will than any other one. So I, I don't think very many owners have power over him. On the way back, I want to talk about the legality of vaccinations and sort of forcing your employees to take the vax. The Lakers have a really interesting situation here, Justin, as uh, Dennis Schroeder's down with COVID issues. It sounds like most of the rest of the Lakers got the vaccine. And I, I just wonder from a management standpoint, how much you can coax and borderline force someone to get the vaccine in the world of sports when you're trying to make a run at a championship. Call Battleborn Injury Lawyers, 702-570-9000 with your questions today. It's time for ESPN Las Vegas legal insider Justin Watkins to present the facts only on Cofield and Company. Live on a Wednesday at the Battleborn Broadcast Center, it's Cofield, it's Justin Watkins, Adam Candy is here as well in our Finley Toyota Studios. It's Ari. So I wanted to get into our weekly discussion of uh, getting the vaccine. Can you work? What can work do uh, to make you? Can they force you to get it? The Lakers situation is very interesting. Anthony Davis, without saying specifically who had taken the vax and who hadn't said, hey, I did it because, you know, we want to win. It's the right thing to do for the Lakers. It's the right thing to do to get, you know, the crowds back and all that. Um, It looks like Dennis Schroeder did not. He's he's in. He's our point guard. Uh, He's in. COVID protocol for a second time. He may be out for the rest of the regular season. It's a weird sitch, right? Like, what do you do when you're when you're a boss in a league? You can't force guys to get it. And yet, I think we all, in almost every workplace, just here in Las Vegas, like, you want to be part of the team. You want to get back to normal and to make that work. In a lot of cases, we talked about this about two months ago, right? Yep. To Raiders, Raiders basically sent – or not, not the Raiders. The NFL sent out a memo, hey, if you want to be near the players – then you got to get the vaccine. If you're an organization member and you want full access, you got to get the vaccine. But it's very tricky. You can't force people to get it, right? I think. Well, you can force them to get it if you're. Uh, well, I you can if if you want to. Now, professional leagues are a little bit trickier because they're collectively bargained. So if the league were to just say to the players, "You have to get it," they would stop that right there and say, listen, that needs to be collectively bargained. We haven't agreed to it. We have to you know, negotiate this. So that's a different situation than everyday sort of everyday life for everybody else. Like right now, I could go downstairs and say, everybody, you have to get the vaccine. You have three weeks to get it. If you don't get it, you're fired. And I would be protected. I'm allowed to do that. That's fine. Um, I don't do that. You know, from my perspective, I want everybody to make their best choice and you know, not everybody at my firm has gotten it, uh, but I hope I hope that everybody will because we are so close to being 100% opened again, and the only thing stepping in the way is a 60% vaccination number for Clark County. We're at like 47%, so we got to get to 60, and then everything can open, and I think that that's the way to sell the vaccinations is that if you get vaccinated, things will change, not the if you get vaccinated, we'll see what happens. What'd you make of the uh, winning encore getting to, I think it was what, 88% of their staff vaccinated and they're allowed to go a little early with the capacity, right? hundred percent capacity. Right. Good job. So there's incentivization. Yep. And like, uh, I think it was win encore and there's a, there's a third property now that has uh, able to open hundred percent based on vaccinations. And I can't think of what it is, but yeah, that's a great incentive. And like I said, 60% of Clark County, 
thirteen percent off. You know, and what if we, we what can, if we don't get to sixty? <laughs> Why is that threshold important? Mention that again. Well, the sixty percent is the plan that Clark County put in place effective May 1st, that was signed off by the Southern Nevada Health District and the governor as part of the emergency power. So what happened in, in on May 1st is the governor said, I am going to relinquish any control over our COVID responses to the local authorities. And that's on the county level. Clark County, you can make any rule that you want so long as you get the endorsement of the Southern Nevada Health District. And um, I, there's two other entities on the state level that needed to sign off on it. So they did that. And their plan was 80% with three foot distance starting May 1st, and then 100% whenever Clark County reaches 60% of people being at least vaccinated with their first dose. And that current number is 47%. You can drive up without appointment and get vaccinated today. You could do it tomorrow. There are a number of appointments available. You don't have to make appointments. There's two walk-in sites. There are drive-through sites that are starting. May 11th, we'll start a drive-through site at Texas Station. You could drive through at the convention center right now. So um, there's no reason, there's no excuse for not being able to get it. I understand that there's people who are apprehensive. I'm just saying we are a tourist destination. We rely on the economic impact is only going to be cured here, I think, is if we get that 60% number sooner rather than later. Um, there are great signs towards uh, economic recovery. They just got the economic uh, forum numbers at the state legislature, and they have projected $500 million more of revenue than was originally projected based on the recovery that's been made. And I'll just say, you know, I get that we're, we're allowing a couple of properties to go 100%, but I was down on the strip a couple of weeks ago. It seemed like the strip was at 100% a couple of months ago. Yeah, I mean, I've, I'm at the South Point every weekend, and there have been times where I've definitely had questions about what a percentage actually looks like. But here we are, and things are moving in the right direction. In fact, we were on the earnings call with the folks at Caesars earlier this week, and they said that they have every weekend booked through the summer here. Uh, and so just seeing that demand that's been pent up, you know, Justin, it feels like between the vaccine and everybody getting their stimulus checks, it's sort of like, hey, not only am I healthy, but I have some money burning a hole in my pocket. Let's go to Vegas. Yep, that's right. And, I'm, uh, you know, we're here for it. Let's make sure that we start booking the conventions, get back in, in place, because I think that there's a, a risk that we lost some to Orlando and to Texas um, in the last 18 months. And so let's get them all back and get everybody back to work cofield and company justin watkins live with us here we're doing the show the entire show from the uh, battleborn broadcast center beautiful new studio and podcast studio so then there's the weird stories when it comes to vaccination saw this one last week a private school in miami is discouraging teachers from getting the covid19 vaccine and in a letter to parents, the school says it will not employ anyone who has taken it. Now, what are we dealing with there locally? It's a private school. Unless you're a teacher, I don't, I don't know what, I mean, we generally talk about uh, rights violations. It would be protected class. Is this legal? I think it's legal. I don't think wow. they're a protected class. I mean, I think it's stupid, but whatever. <laughs> um, that's, you know, immorality or stupidity does not equal illegality and so uh we're in that weird situation where i i don't know what kind of statement they're trying to make uh you know arguably they could try to make an argument that that uh 
you know, they're that they're making an unreasonable rule that affects the health uh, of the employees. But I just I, I I don't think they're going to get there unless there's some strong labor laws in that particular state. And I don't think that there are any that's going to apply. So, yeah, I think it's legal. It's just dumb. Candy, you got a follow up? Well, what would be the from the school's perspective, what would be the legal grounds? What could what would what could they say is their reasoning or do they have to have a reasoning at all? Yeah, I don't think they have to have a reasoning, right? Unless there's some sort of collective bargained agreement there and it's a private school. So I'm going to say that there's not. If it's a right to work state like the state of Nevada, I don't have to give you any reason as long as it's not discriminatory. So, uh, you know, discrimination of vaxxers versus anti-vaxxers is not a protected class. So, no, they don't have to give any any reason. Let's close on this one. This is a weird one. Uh, headline, again, Florida, internet privacy legislation dies in Florida. State lawmakers are the latest to spar over consumers' right to sue companies. This is probably right up your alley or, or, or much interest. So what's going on here? Yeah, so uh, federal government has not weighed in on consumer rights or bill of rights that pertain to internet privacy and what rights people have across the board as it pertains to social media and internet tracking and, and and documentation and privacy issues. So they've that's basically left it up to the states. A lot of different states have tackled uh, this issue. I think California has the most comprehensive internet privacy rights, uh, which includes a private cause of action. What does that mean? That means if, the, if Facebook misuses my private data, then I can sue them directly. These other states, there have been other states who have tackled this issue and not given the private right of action, which what does that mean? Well, that means if Facebook does something wrong with my data, I cannot sue them, but they're subject to administrative remedies, fines. Typically, there's going to be a fine associated with that. And not surprisingly, I have strong opinions as to what's a better uh, deterrent for uh, ensuring people behave properly, and that is private rights of action that administrative fines can be budgeted in. They're fixed. We know what they are. They could simply put that into their line item budget and ignore what the law is, whereas private rights of action, especially if it's knowing misuse, are going to include punitive damages, which are unpredictable. And the unpredictable nature of it is necessary so that they don't just simply pass on that, that cost to the customers and behave however they want. Let's close on a lighter note. We've got a new feature in the middle of the show called the Fat Pack, right? Like the Rat Pack. So we do food stories every day, and we're going to kind of stretch it out, pun intended, to uh, talk about fitness, you know, fatties like myself, not candy. Um, this one's stretching it a bit. This is coming up at 430, and we'll get Candy's take and Ari's take on this one because it's, a, it's more of a relationship question. I saw Diana Rossini from ESPN tweeted out, just one morning, I'd like my husband to start our day with hello, good morning, not with, quote, what's for dinner tonight? She says it's 528 a.m. What do you get from that? You're a married fella. You're a guy. I think there's a lot of things to wean from that comment that uh, her husband isn't saying hello and good morning. First question is, what's for dinner tonight at 530 in the morning? I don't know. I mean, if if I give try to give him every benefit of the doubt, maybe uh, I, if I was trying to spin it in his favor, yeah, yeah. I'd say, well, 
I know the next time I'm going to see you is at dinner time. And I look forward to seeing you at the end of the day. And this is my way of starting that conversation about uh, when we're going to see each other again. Right. Um, but <laughs> the way I read that is it's her responsibility yes. to cook dinner. She's annoyed that he's asking what's for dinner. But I have plenty of ways to spin this as a positive for the mail. But she chose to send it out like that and wrote it like that. So I guess this is a case where a woman is saying her husband is a putz first thing in the morning. Well, I mean, I, hey, we all have obligations around the household, and I guess I wouldn't be thrilled if the first thing in the morning my wife woke up, woke up and said, what time are you taking out the trash? That's my thing. I would be like, uh, don't worry about it. I take care of it. I take care of it you know? But uh, I didn't know the fat pack uh, segment, but I will say this. I've been experimenting with some foods of my own. I've been trying to turn the elk meat, the, the flank steaks, into carne asada, and I've been messing with some different marinades to make it all work so if, if there's any listeners out there who've got some great ideas dm them or, or tweet me with them because I, I'm, I'm in the experimental mode all right you're in on the fat pack theme though right yeah we talk great. about food every day i actually closed out yesterday's show asking von tobel who he fancies himself a pretty decent chef and he got into a war of words with um i'm blanking on everyone's name mckinnell i almost called him mcmillan uh ryan mckinnell over like shredded cheese versus block cheese, right? But I was asking JVT about vegetables. I'm trying to introduce some more vegetables into my diet. I'm doing vegetables every day, but I'm kind of doing the same basic vegetables. So we, I was like, hey, anything more exotic, anything more offbeat? And he said asparagus. Like, I'm already doing asparagus. Do you have a vegetable that you guys like to cook that's a little bit unusual? Uh, I don't know that it's unusual, but I, I'm a Brussels sprouts fan. That's And it's, it's sent out the question last night. Because uh, some of our listeners responded, and my first question is, what can I do on the grill with Brussels sprouts? Oh, or do I have to use the oven? Um, no, my wife uses the oven. She makes an awesome, like, there's some oil and bacon bits on there, and it, 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 it's great. Can, it's, I, can I use regular bacon? Uh, she does. <laughs> it's great. It's okay. wonderful. Well, I, I didn't know if there was, like, the fake, you know, oh, shaky bacon bits. No, 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 no. Hello. It's, re it's regular bacon. It's, it's, it's delicious. I'll, I'll have her give me, give me the recipe, and I'll send it. It's not hard. And it's and it's wonderful. So I, I I sprinkle in the Brussels sprouts. That's how I try to get my greens in. I love like crispy green beans in like a rice and protein sort of bowl. Okay. Um, I, that's how I try to mix those in as well. All right. Um, but yeah, I'm not great on the vegetables. Notice either. the notice the fat pack theme. Brussels sprouts, bacon. Right <laughs> away. Right. I'm mixing in more vegetables. Bacon. Little, little oil, little bacon. <laughs> it's great. <laughs> Five seven zero nine thousand is the number. Five seven zero nine zero zero. You guys slammed right now. You're getting super busy. Things are good. Things are getting back to normal. Good. All right, there he is, Justin Watkins. Thanks for letting us use the studio. We come back. Caleb Herring's up in about fifteen minutes. He'll grade some of the post draft stuff, and we'll also get his reaction to a lot of complaints around the NBA about this playoff play in system. So many folks are annoyed by it. Call Battleborn Injury Lawyers, 702-570-9000, with your questions today.